0: Hello, you're listening to the Australian Writers' Centre podcast on writers and writing. My name's Valerie Koo, and you can find us online at writerscentre.com.au. We're Australia's leading writing centre, and you'll find a wealth of resources on our website and blog, including interviews with authors, writing tips, and valuable ideas on how to get published and write with confidence. Whether you're interested in writing a novel, short story, or articles for magazines, you'll find information and courses to help you get there. Or if you want to hone your business writing skills, we can help you too. Our presenters are the best in the industry. Our team is passionate about all things writing, and in these podcasts, we'll be talking to best-selling authors on their craft. We hope you enjoy today's podcast.
1: Hi, my name's Danielle Williams from the Australian Writers Centre. Today we're speaking to journalist and author Nicholas Rothwell about his latest book, Bellamore. Thanks for joining us, Nicholas. Uh, First of all, just tell us a bit more about the latest book, Bellamore.
2: Do you know, I'm not convinced that I have it very clearly in my mind that I would struggle to answer your question. It, It seems to me that books books take focus in the mind of their writer only after a certain amount of time when they're just newborn children
1: mm.
2: they're hard really to see you can't really tell what features they have right. and let me not push the metaphor too far but the, when you write a book what you have in your thoughts is very much for in, let me tell you my experience rather right? than speak for anyone else mm. what you have in your mind Is a schema, a plan, an idea, a blueprint which you then seek to realize. And what you actually write departs at times from that blueprint, fulfills it perfectly, at others over fulfills it and topples onto something other, some other structure in other cases. So it's only really in the rear view mirror that you have some sense of what you might have done and so if I say something about the book it is by analogy with other books which I've written which feels quite similar to it. in fact I have a sense that as is very often said every writer who is not you know, a subtle and cunning manipulator simply rewrites the same book again and again tells the same message again and again revisits the scene of the crime, trauma, joy, Mm. enlightenment, lightning bolt. And so it is, I think, in some degree with this book and its predecessors. This book is called Bellamore. And the title is an abbreviated version of the word Bellamore Canal, which is the name of what was once the most popular strongest brand of cigarette consumed in the old Soviet Union and it translates out of this is the White Sea Canal. The cigarette was introduced by the state tobacco company in the 1930s to commemorate the great achievement of the slave labor construction of this canal, the first great Soviet project which cost the lives of many thousands of convicts and obviously caused indescribable suffering for little real point of the canal is scarcely used today. However, it has given us a cigarette and the title of the book. And the cigarette, the brand of cigarette, figures quite prominently in what passes for the plot of this story. So, despite that Russian-seeming thematic, it is a book which is largely set in remote Australia very substantially set in remote Australia. and It's to a certain degree about the parallels between the European domain and the remote Australian domain, which are structurally the two halves of my own life. And as one advances through the wild and through time, the need for subterfuge goes away, and you just end up writing what you know, what you are, to try better to know Understand Sorry, please yeah. Well,
1: I just you mentioned that you're basically uh, reusing an idea that you've used in previous books, which have been non-fiction. Was this originally conceived as a novel? Because it feels like it straddles sort of memoir, fiction.
2: I know what you're asking. Um, look, I would say it's very hard to draw the line between fiction and non-fiction in the current world, and indeed probably always has been. But let me come to a couple of points which I think are quite useful to have in one's mind right now. And where we stand in this strange world where words just blow away, print, ebook, pod, yeah. whatever. You know, the, the notion that seems so precious to me is to have the considered word, the worked over word, the work you don't just blow into the wind and not mean what is the function of plot and fiction and imagination and artifice in this world what are we doing when we make something up i think when we make something up we're abstracting from what we know we're trying to get away from what we know and fantasizing we're trying to pin down what we know in a more precise way by by generalizing so there are a number of different strategies but what you say is true. I've written know, six mm, big books, mm. and one of them has been a fairly conventional novel, which started off from very clear factual events and interwove in those factual events a story of stories, you know, many things, including ghosts. So mm. it clearly had non non-documentalist elements. And uh, another was a, a, a kind of journey of discovery and experience in remote desert landscape mm-hmm. which had a component of imaginative reconstruction of the right. past and a component of, of um, reportage of experience and a strong component of interior self self-modulation self and the successor to that some thematic similarities but was probably more fictive although I think it was marketed as a quasi memoir sort of condition and this book, you you never know what's going to happen when you get to that end of the distribution you just never know but this child is I think it would be fair to say that it has strong fictive elements there are elements of it which are made from whole cloth and there are elements of it which are absolutely straight, factual There's the whole chapter which is essentially true, if I can use that loaded term. But it's true about the dreams and fantasies of other characters, and it has flatly implausible things happening. Mm. So what are we left with? A novel, a a tale. I quite like the word tale, but I think that I would suggest to you this. It's interesting to do a thought experiment before we get too carried away with these very fun, categories it's interesting to do the thought experiment what will people think in the future in the future do, you, if anyone, do you
1: about the book or about
2: this book or any book yeah. written now if they, if they look back in time maybe they will look back because there are going to be so many more people in the future than they are than there are now they're yeah. going to have to have something to write their phd so yeah. <laughs> you may be lucky um you look back and you think oh i wonder what the structure of this book is i wonder what its ideas about the world are i wonder what emotions are moving in it I wonder what tonal notes it's hitting and you probably won't think gee I wonder if that you know 7-11 on page 320 actually was existent or mm-hmm. whether it was made up or whether this person said that or... and similarly if you were to take a great quasi-realist novel of the 19th century let's say War and Peace, let's say Flaubert's Sentimental Education or you know David Copperfield, whatever Mm. it may be. You now don't ask the question, was there a historical David Copperfield? Was there a historical Napoleon? Because you kind of know the answer, and it doesn't matter. It's how the thing hangs together that's the important thing. I'm I'm sorry, please
1: come. Well, I was just going to say, speaking about how it all hangs together, so you are interweaving quite a lot of fact with fictive elements, as you call them. How did you plan a novel like this? How do you make sure all those threads come together as one at the end? Or is it planned? Is it more organic?
2: Yeah, I'm I'm certainly a planner, but the... If I can put it this way, I would would tend to begin writing a book with a shape or an idea or an emotion. and a kind of guiding thesis there's something which I'm exploring in each book I write a kind of thesis about how the deeper structure of the world works what it is, where we are what the nature of our cage is and I can only say to you that each of these chapters I knew what was going to be in them I knew how they were going to move and work from a very very early stage in the writing of the book indeed I had had them with me for some time. Um, if you like this entire writing project which I've been engaged in, which comprises several books, coheres and each of the story flows is necessary for me. They're necessary, they are, they have to be the way they are, they have to have the components of truth and fiction right. that are in them. The one paradoxical but strong element to me is this notion that you 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 write to praise. You write to admire and adore the world. You write not because you want to complain or carp or because you don't accept the way things are. You write to to express your appreciation, for your consciousness, um, and as well as that, you also write to praise the way things should be, mm. just as much as the way they are. So that I don't. I know it sounds completely intolerable but I don't really like the way that we make a a difference between what is and what is not because when time has flowed by, what is will no longer be and so I feel a kind of right to this promiscuity and I think that there's a sort of artistic beauty in making what is seem unreal and making what is not seem real in the, the sort of baroque manner or whatever and I feel that this would have been a ridiculous and offensive thing to say to you if we'd been speaking ten years ago, but I take hope from the notion that we now live in such a virtual world that these hard rules have begun to erode and it's mm. possible to make one's way, have one's little sort of backpack of yeah. semi-fiction on one's back and get by without being stopped by the moral police. Yes, the yes.
1: Is that why you feel you've been able to come back to essentially fiction... Because your first novel was written in 1999, so that's what, a 13, 14 year gap between that and this. It passed in a flash. But yes, yeah, absolutely. Well, yeah, i sure um, yeah, yeah. So, I mean, what, what prompted you to go back to the Look, writing a novel?
2: Truthfully, although I may seem a reasonably rational person to you, I'm not sure that I'm in that clearer control of the you know, things that make me go here or there in the writing life. And, you know, I look back on the novel that you're referring to, which um, has got, you know, it's full of strange supernatural events, as is the book that I just finished. And it occurs to me that I didn't intend that to be the case. It's just these things surface like lava coming up from you know, underground, and you don't really have that much control over them. And I feel that the procedure of the writer, for me, is essentially to be a kind of radar. You know, you put up your periscope, you put up your radar, stick to one, yeah. one contrivance, you put up your radar, and it revolves slowly, and you wait for signals from the ether around, and something comes in. Mm, that's that's an idea which resonates with me, which is meant for me, which I should not turn aside from, which I should go towards. And then the radar keeps revolving over time, over the months and the years, and you discern a pattern, and you know that that is what you are fashioned to respond to and bring out and and meditate on. And consequently, I'm something of a relativist with books, I feel that there's a book for everyone to read and to gain pleasure and joy and instruction from and what works for one person isn't going yeah. to work. I mean, I know that sounds very modishly democratic, but I really mean it.
1: Yeah.
2: <laughs> that I know there are great books that I can't appreciate, that just don't work for me, mean nothing. I don't want to read any Henry James. I don't want to have characters being maltreated by some creepy old sadist. You know, yes. I want to read books of a different kind because of my own what i want to make myself and what i am by nature and that it seems to me is the joy of writing no matter whether you're you know a rock star or a you know some struggler without any published work that you get to work on and make yourself and direct yourself and hone yourself and seek to know yourself that's the procedure really and everything that follows after that you know book finished book that's all mm. secondary to the, yeah, the notion. Yeah. Does that make any sense to you?
1: It does, and it kind of ties in a little bit to what I was going to ask next. Um, now, I hope I got this right. I actually took this quote from a review on uh, The Journeys Mm-mm. book, and this reviewer said that you're claiming that fiction writing is primarily a European conceit and Australia really can't be captured in the written form.
2: But it's not a million miles away from what I meant. Um, the, this is something of a, an exploration of an idea rather than um, a concept which I would go to the stake for, you know, I mean, sure yeah, i I'd want to yeah. be burned at the stake for anything, but I'd want to do a little bit more preparatory work on this idea before, before going too far. But in essence, the argument I was making in the essay lecture which that was referring to was something like this, that the novel, as opposed to the tale, the novel, the character-obsessed novel in which people go through time and interact with each other and have fates and things happen. in you know, the classical 19th and early 20th century novel it represents or stems from a certain stage in social development. It's essentially a bourgeois form or a, mm-hmm. a, you know, a form of a literate and you know, mass culture. It's not epic, it's not tragedy, it's not um, Jacobian drama it's something which is in our recent past, but past. We are now dealing with the kind of later developments of novel form, which are in their own way interesting. It's fascinating to see how genre and fantasy forms come to the fore and how the novel is so infinitely malleable and it survives very well. I had close friends who are dedicated novelists who would be appalled at this heresy. Nevertheless, I was suggesting several things, that the notion of seasonal progress and social progress, and indeed, to some extent, religious um, salvation. All of these things constitute the thought world of the novel. The novel is, it does not stay still. Things happen in a novel, good or bad. There's progress. There's resolution. There, are, you know, you know. The principles of novel writing, people have now dissected them so much, they teach the the structure. You know, people know how to write novels because it's a reducible form which reflects certain social conditions. So, in your novel, the protagonist comes to a discovery and grows or doesn't grow in more modern novels. So, that's the setting. The setting is social. And the setting presupposes a sort of propulsive motion and a change and a lifetime. Now, this strikes me as a very European or Northern Hemisphere sort of notion. It's tied in with Europe and seasonality and um, the notions that were alive in the foundation era of the novel. And also, it's a very American kind of notion. Now, what do we see in Australia, which is not a great novel province? Australia was settled after America in a time when Christianity had not really bitten as strongly as it did in America. You go through America, every town is named after the Bible.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: Every town, Corpus Christi, Texas. Bethlehem, Pennsylvania, I'm yeah, yeah. <laughs>
1: Um
2: And what do you see in Australia? Different sort of religious space, different country. Country that does not have seasonality, where we, it's drought and fire, different rhythms different sense of progress. Do we have progress here? Of course we have development. Of course we have colonization and settlement Mm. and economic growth. But I would be tempted to try to argue that the prevailing notions in Australia are subtly different. And this has something to do with the weakness, comparative weakness of the novel in this country. And what I would be inclined to suggest is that here we have a different kind of literature to the fore. The tale, the fable, the yarn. Mm. The yarn is very, you know, shaggy dog stories, stories that don't go anywhere, stories that don't obey conventional forms. Of course there are famous and great Australian novels and there are publishers reissuing them by the cartload at the moment. However, there is another Australian literature with which I would love to be brave enough to align myself. Mm which is the literature of the, of the place-based idea that is sent out to the, the, the story that floods out and goes nowhere, the story that has multiple characters and no necessary mm. heroes. You know, I can see you know what I mean. And... I wonder to what extent, whether this doesn't have an echo with Aboriginal themes, Aboriginal story cycles, which are repetitive, and we haven't taken them, obviously. Non-Indigenous rights haven't taken them from the Indigenous world, but has somehow this idea come out from the landscape, from our nearness to the Aboriginal domain as it comes to Mm.
1: acting?
2: Those are some of the ideas that are in my thoughts, that are lurking around in the background of the quote that you mentioned.
1: I mean, this book does have a strong sense of place, especially when it's set in the Northern Territory. Can you think of any or can you suggest any writers who are working in that more Australian dream-time, almost, way of writing today or even in, you know, 20th century?
2: I can. I can. I would say that in his early books, Randolph Stare, Obvious contender, the poet Les Murray, the Mm -hmm. landscape writer Eric Rolls, these are figures who mean a great deal to me. Um, There's a man called Billy Linklater who wrote a book called Gather No Moss, which is about life in the North. And there are a number of other Northern writers. So I think there is a sort of alternative tradition or parallel tradition, not very well known, but Mm -hmm. nevertheless there. And rather typically, of Australian life, not joined up properly, like the no. sort of water holes that are not connected.
1: Yes, yes. <laughs> um, I just want to ask a bit more about your writing process. So, you're a journalist as well as an author. Uh, how do you shift between writing for a newspaper and working on your own book? And, you know, do you have a process that you follow every day? Do you have a, a routine that you stick
2: to? I tend to write. You know, books as opposed to journalism at a different time. So I might take a year off or okay. you know, then become poverty-stricken and then go back to journalism and, and try to rebuild the war chest so as to have the... So I don't write quickly or easily in book land. And it's a different sort of mental space that one has to I think plunge into not that I'm speaking you know, negatively about journalism obviously it's a discipline which has its charms and its um, companionship and its social point however the aim of a journalist is to get to the bottom of things and I think the aim of a writer is somehow not to assume that there is a simple and reductive key to the whole cosmos and you probably do well to put some distance between one activity and the other. So I don't find it easy to go from the one to the other. And in in my writing life, my my way is really to spend quite some time doing not very much before Working up to that sort of pitch of you know, despair and unhappiness and uneasiness, where it becomes more painful not to write than to write, and then you know, I write. And in in a technical sense, my way is in a, a writing phase, and you know, I might write you know, for a month or six months at a, a stretch. I would, you know, like every other writer, get up early. And, my way in recent times, I write longhand. Yeah. I then put it through a filter and type it out in the afternoon. It makes for quite a long and difficult day, because mm-hmm. you've got you know your first four or five hours, then another hour of disappointment and you know, self-loathing when you see what you've actually written. And so then you've got you know, not only your you know, very early draft, if you've actually had any success at the table at all, but also your um, first Translation first living and then we can you know, go on oh. later. So that's the sort of you know, pure technical side of it. And the other issue which means a great deal to me but may not be of direct interest to you is posture, which I'm happy to talk oh, okay.
1: about. <laughs> posture is always of interest to people who sit at a desk all day, I'm sure. Yes, so. that, is that, that physical strength and, and fitness something that's really important to your...
2: Well, I, I thought it might be a useful thing to pass on to so say I found it quite an intriguing approach to stand.
1: Right.
2: To write. Yeah. And I gather this is actually rather more widespread than you might imagine. Philip oh, oh. like Roth, for example, is a stander. Right. Maybe that shows up in his work. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but um, and indeed there is a little subculture of standing writers and on websites, unsurprisingly, there's a subculture of standing writer websites, and you can nowadays buy pulpits from deaccessioned American churches, because America has become, so unreligious, that there are many, many pulpits going cheap, mm. and a pulpit is the ideal thing at which to write, because yeah. your posture is up, your muscles are held in mm. the correct position, and your
1: and and the grip it should be, yeah.
2: are exactly right, so you can adjust the pulpit to your height. I found this is—I um, don't actually have a pulpit, I have to confess to you. but I do find that um, these boring physical aspects of the writing life are quite yeah, significant. Yeah, yeah. obviously trifling as well. Yeah.
1: <laughs> Maybe not. Well, apart from trying out the standing and writing, do you have any other advice for budding writers?
2: sure that this is what you want to do and be careful what you wish for because if you wish it with all your being beyond everything else it is likely to come true. Hmm.
1: Okay, that's excellent. Thank you so much for coming to talk to us and good luck with Belvar.
0: been listening to the team from the Australian Writers' Centre podcast on writers and writing. My name's Valerie Ku. You can find us online at writerscentre.com.au and discover details about our courses, seminars, and popular online learning programs where we help students from all over the world. I'm author of the book Power Stories, the eight stories you must tell to build an epic business, and you can find out more on my personal website, ValerieKoo.com. That's Valerie, K-H-O-O Thank you for listening.